You know, what technologies do you currently see either on the horizon or even now that filmmakers should be taking advantage of? Yeah. Um, I think I think of it the other way around. Tell me. Um, rather than finding a trendy or new piece of technology and then uh, trying to shove a story into that, I think you first need to determine your story and tailor fit the technology to that. Hi, to all you boys and girls out there in podcast land. Welcome to Radio Film School, a radio documentary anthology series about filmmaking, cinema, and the pursuit of passion. Every week, we bring you personal, passionate, and sometimes provocative stories from filmmakers and artists all over the globe. Stories that will help you mature as an artist and find more fulfillment in your craft and career. This week is NAB. Now, I'm not there, but I am there with you in spirit. Which is why I'm bringing you this special shortened episode on technology, with never-before-aired segments of interviews I conducted last season. But first, can I just give some props to Lens Pro to go? They are like the little engine that could in the online rental market space. They're staffed by working filmmakers and photographers who can give you informed and educated advice on what kind of gear to rent. Today, shipping is included in all of their rates, and your equipment arrives nicely packaged in durable Pelican cases. And for my listeners, if you use the offer code RADIO when you check out, you'll save yourself 10%. That's lensprotogo.com and use the offer code RADIO. We thank them for their support. Now, without further ado, on with the show. My name is Joshua Dawson, and this is the introduction video for my YouTube channel named You Can Call Me Joshua. Basically, the videos I do are pretty random, so um, I'll be doing like gaming videos, and I'll invite some of my friends over to do some challenges. That's a clip from the introduction video of my 12-year-old son's YouTube channel. Can I just say, I'm such a proud papa. Lately, he's really taken up an interest in filmmaking and learning iMovie and even Final Cut Pro. A couple of months ago, he directed his first Nerf War spy action thriller. Now he's working on this sci-fi story about bad guys taking over the galaxy. And he's been obsessed with special effects and how to do CGI. Every now and then, we'll be driving in the car and he'll go, so, Dad, in Final Cut Pro, like, what if you want to do, like, this screen thing where you kind of, like, curve it? Like, can you curve that in Final Cut Pro? And I'm all like, yeah, I'm pretty sure you can do that. You might need, like, a special plug-in, but it can definitely be done. And then he's all like, so it's like something you plug into your computer? And then I'm all like, well, it's not really that kind of a plug-in. A plug-in is, it's kind of hard to explain. But all that matters is, yes, you can do it. Anyway, it's been wonderful seeing him get excited about this craft. But just a day or two ago, we had a conversation that did give me some pause. 
He was asking how to do these advanced modeling techniques that I'm sure must require something like Maya running on a gajillion dollar computer. Now, these questions have been concerning for a couple of reasons. First and foremost is the simple fact that I have neither the hardware nor the software nor the skill to do the things that he wants to do. But secondly, and perhaps more importantly, I don't want him to think that he has to have all these special effects to make his sci-fi film. I tell him about the importance of first having a great story and then seeing if he can come up with other creative ways to tell that story if he can't do the effects. I talk about the value of practical effects versus CGI and how Peter Jackson's use of practical costumes in Lord of the Rings looked amazing, whereas his use of CGI for the orcs and the Hobbit films looked like a video game. I talk about the return of practical effects that J.J. Abrams brought to Star Wars Episode 7. I wanted to say to my little boy, my future Ryan Johnson, a version of that same refrain I tell all of you at the end of my episodes. Son, if the story sucks, it doesn't matter what you created those monsters with. Technology and filmmaking go hand in hand. They always have and always will. And right around this time, the topic is on the tip of just about every filmmaker's tongue because this is NAB Week, the National Association of Broadcasters' annual mecca of filmmaking gizmos and gadgets in Las Vegas, Nevada. Now, in the spirit of that humongous event, today we have a special shortened episode where we look at technology and filmmaking again. And as usual, we do it in a way for which we are best known where we're going to challenge you to subdue that 12-year-old little boy or girl inside of you who is convinced you need a certain piece of technology to tell your story and to step back, take a breath, and ask the question, do I really need it? I'm Ron Dawson, and this is Radio Film School Shortens. What you're hearing is the beautiful and haunting score for the website hollowdocumentary.com. Hollow is a 2013 Peabody award-winning documentary by filmmaker Elaine McMillian Sheldon. Elaine was featured prominently in last season's Women in Filmmaking series, which was the progenitor to our Brick in the Glass series. What makes Hollow so special, and why its making is apropos to this conversation about technology, is because Hollow is an interactive documentary. It's this immaculate, intricate, immersive experience where, as you scroll down through the website, the history of McDowell County, West Virginia is laid before you. From the early 1940s, when it was a booming mine town, throughout the century as the population increased and flourished, then as the population decreased towards the dawn of the 21st century and into the early 2000s. The entire hollow experience is wonderful and enlightening and inspiring. The combination of photography, video, music, and ambient sounds is almost hypnotic. So it was no wonder that I approached Elaine not only to talk to her about her take on women in the industry, but to get her thoughts on technology's role in filmmaking. And some of her commentary actually speaks directly to the issue I recently had with my little boy. You know, what technologies do you currently see either on the horizon or even now, that filmmakers should be taken advantage of? Yeah. Um, I think I think of it the other way around. Tell me um, about Rather than finding a trendy or new piece of technology 
and then uh, trying to shove a story into that. I think you first need to determine your story and tailor fit the technology to that. So there's this 20th century principle. It's called uh, form follows function. It's from modernist architecture and industrial design. And basically it says that uh, the shape of the building or object should be based upon the function, the, the intended purpose or function of that building. So I try to apply that to stories. So the shape of the final product of your story should be based on the functions of, and the goals and the purpose of that story. And so, you know, I know a lot of people are really hot on VR right now, um, but you're seeing a lot of technology being used in flat ways. Um, I think projects that favor technology before thinking about the narrative tend to fall flat and feel more forced and less immersive. Whereas if you're tailoring the technology to best highlight the strengths of your particular story, those are the ones that do create the same effect we get from great cinema. So I think I also think I see a lot of filmmakers, and, and I do love technology and I love interactivity, but I think I see a lot of filmmakers shutting themselves off from acti- interactivity. I think they see it as a lesser form of feature films, as something, as something uh, uh, I don't know, not as prestigious in some way. And I was I was at a film festival in Switzerland, and I had a had all had hollow there. And then I was with a guy who had a feature there, and and I was just sort of commenting on how so many of these festivals split up these two categories and put them really far away from one another so that the people never intermingle, the experiences never intermingle, and how they're seen as sort of the antithesis of each other, but in many ways I think they complement each other. And he remarked that, well, you know, interactive documentaries will have their moment when real film, real filmmakers are making them. Huh? And I think that... Did you slap them? No, <laughs> I'm just I mean, joking. whatever, but it was a, it was eye-opening. Um, what, well, did you confront him at all? Did you say, like, I Yeah, I did, because yeah. there are real, there are real filmmakers making them. I mean, I'm not going to, I'm not going to use myself as an example, but there are amazing people making these films. I mean, Arte in France, those are real filmmakers. And the, the film Almost, A Tale of Violence, is like a hugely cinematic interactive documentary made by filmmakers. And so... I think the misunderstanding with technology is that they don't have the same purpose, the film and the interactive. They don't, they provide completely different experiences. And one form is not lesser than the other, but it's about how it's used and what stories are told in that form. If let's think of an example. So the example, um, Field of Vision, which is Laura Poitras' new short film, um, I don't know what you call it, unit. Uh, they have a short about sur- a surveillance balloon in Kabul. I think it's called The Above. Mm-hmm. And it's this beautiful short film about government surveillance in the Middle East. And then if you think about, there's an interactive an interactive data visualization documentary that's called Outside Out of Mind, which shows drone strikes over Pakistan since 2004. And those two things, while serving different purposes, are equally as emotionally moving to me. Um, they have different audiences. The final product is different. And how you feel afterwards is different. But I think that filmmakers can look at those two types of things as ways to incorporate interactivity. Rather than seeing it as contradictive to their form or their medium, seeing it with its strengths. You know, interactivity has strengths that film doesn't. Film has strengths that interactivity doesn't. And so I think it just takes a more critical eye to look at the best way to use these forms.
This conversation with Elaine reminded me of another conversation I conducted last season, one with Seattle Film Institute Executive Director David Shulman. We were discussing whether or not it's important to study the masters, and he made a comment about the German filmmaker Max Ophuls that I think plays into this conversation about technology and filmmaking. You know, what is the purpose of art? You know, yeah. I mean, why would somebody watch a movie a second time? Why would somebody read a novel a second time? The answer to your question is, what sandbox do you want to play in? Mm-hmm. If you don't want to play in that type of sandbox, why invest the energy? Mm-hmm. You know, don't. If you want to play in that sandbox, so getting back to the Steadicam shot, yeah. you know, so... So Max O'Fools is doing all this stuff with the moving camera before he had access to any of the any of these tools. So you know our YouTube video, you know who now has access to Steadicam, you know looks at Max O'Fools and what does what does he notice? There's about 500 things that go on to make that Steadicam shot work. The the framing of the shot at the beginning, you know the start point of the shot has to have a composition that's engaging and holds the audience attention. If you're not interested in having a shot that holds the audience attention or draws them into the story, fine. They're going to they're going to stop watching it after 3 minutes, you know. Then if the camera starts moving, if, if if there's an intermediary stop point in the camera move, where is the camera framed at that stop point? What is the framing at that point? Is the framing engaging? All of this stuff you can learn. You, so you so you might be totally uh, you know, totally bored you know, by a Max O'Fool's film as a whole, but if you study his moving camera, you will learn everything you need to know about what makes a moving camera shot successful. This comment about O'Fool's and his use of moving camera shots years before the invention of the Steadicam is a great reminder about the importance of understanding the basics and the mechanics of good storytelling and basic shot composition. But it does beg the question, what could someone like Max Ophels do if he did have access to a Steadicam? Let's go back to my conversation with Elaine as I pose a question to her regarding her commentary about form following function. Could it not also be true that some types of technology can open your mind up to certain types of storytelling. So like if you were to go back to the day, you know, you had, you know, before, right before cars were invented and everything was a horse-drawn buggy. And then cars come along. You may have a story about a person going to the store in his horse-drawn buggy and then this automobile technology comes and it gives you a whole new palette to work with of how you want to tell that story or even the kind of story you might want to tell because now you're dealing with all the intricacies of this particular technology. And, and I know in that case, the, the technology is in the story rather than making the story, but uh, so maybe it's not the greatest analogy, but this idea of if there's a certain type of technology that is available to you that can give you a wider um, canvas to work with, with the kind of stories you want to tell or how you might want to tell a story. Is, am I making sense? Am I no, you're totally making sense. I agree. I think it's the first step, right? The first step is knowing what is available. Mm-hmm. So the first step is recognizing the strengths of VR. The first step is recognizing the strengths of mm. uh, maybe pulling in Facebook-generated uh, photos into into your whatever you're making. I mean, the strength is understanding the different forms and their use. So you know, right now, like someone asked me, like, well, we would like to do a VR film about rural America. And I'm the, the 
my role now as someone who is going to follow that form follows function is to think about, okay, what's being done VR? What do I like about it? What do I not like about it? And then how can I improve it with the story that I'm going to find? And then finding a story that is complemented by this form rather than finding a story that uh, could be a feature film. I think it's different. I think it's a, it's mm-hmm. a different experience. And so uh, I, I don't know. I just like to challenge. I think what you're saying is absolutely true. But I think in order to make good decisions about what medium and technology to use, you absolutely have to understand the strength of each technology. Mm-hmm. Um, and the only way you can do that is to experience it and be reflective on it and understand what moved you, what didn't move you. You know, what did you like about Hollow? What did you like about Hollow? And try to understand what didn't work for you and then move that th- through your own story. Hollow is great and lovely and I love it and it's a it, I'm really proud of it, but I am concerned about uh, the shelf life of interactive projects. Hmm. So I did a uh, screening of Hollow and Barbara Koppel did a screening of Harlan County, and mm-hmm. then we were on a panel together. And I'm looking at Barbara, and you know, I'm admiring her, and she's showing Harlan County, you know, 30 plus years after she made it. And I'm thinking to myself, well, where is Hollow going to be even five years from now? Mm. Let alone 30. You know, you're going to have to pull out your like 15 inch MacBook Pro from 2013 and like <laughs> you only use a certain router. I mean, like, what is HTML5 going to look like in 30 years? And so that really concerns me, like, to make projects that aren't timeless in the fact that like they are complete, completely digital and they're not easily archivable. It's not just like archiving short films. You know, there's a whole interactive experience that has to be archived. And, oh, wow, and yeah. sure, and sure, we've recorded, we've done screen recordings of it, but like, I think that's a really big question. Like, all these pieces of culture we're going to lose um if we thought they were important enough to do and to fund and to distribute then we should be working to figure out the best way to archive them i think i mean technology is not forgiving it doesn't age well and so when you put film and tech together it becomes sort of a you know the classics the whole idea of like a classics and having this everlasting you know viewability like i like you can watch the criterion collection on hulu like that's not a thing for interactive work and maybe that's right. why the filmmaker in switzerland you know has his skepticism about this he doesn't see it as a as he maybe he sees it as a trend and something that will pass through and maybe it is who knows i completed hollow in 2013 and like i said the industry has responded to it in a way that I never thought it would have went a Peabody. I never thought this, you know, these people would take notice to it. It was very unexpected. And mm-hmm. and after that, it's it's amazing. But after that, people saw me as an interactive storyteller, mm-hmm. singularly. They mm-hmm. never really acknowledged the fact that every piece of content, every piece of audio, video, photo, I captured. Mm-hmm. And so I was an interactive storyteller to them. And so I've been, for two years, I've been trying to fight with that idea of like why I even started in this and, and you know people still to this day you know I'll talk on panels and stuff they're like well what's the next big interactive and and to be honest like I have no plans for that I'm far more concerned about finding the new story and and it wasn't until just recently that I've been able to get out I mean it's been very paralyzing for people to have a certain like expectation and it's not like you know it's like that many people but it is sort of your audience in a way and so for me, the challenge is learning and trying new forms of media. And I get very bored with repetition. And so I think that when people try to pin you down as one thing or you, know, you do this type of film, 
they're trying to make sense and make order in the world, but what they can really do is stagnate you and, and make mm. you forget why you did do this. And so after a lot of watching and a lot of reading and everything, I'm I'm kind of just going back to, you know, why why did you why did you do the first, you know, the two feature films you did? Why'd you do those and why'd you do Hollow? And I think going back to the the questions that led me into filmmaking is what helped me figure out how to get out of this labeling of, well, you're an interactive storyteller, so uh, you know, you're not going to make a feature, uh, or whatever it may be. So yeah, I think it's, I think it's a weird, it's a weird situation to be in where you get a lot of attention for a project and you're very happy about that, but how that sophomore fear and sophomore slump really does affect you. Thanks again to Elaine for a wonderful conversation. Elaine is absolutely so much more than an interactive filmmaker. Having done work for Ted, Mashable, and Frontline, take a look at her work and her wonderful approach to telling human stories at ElaineMcMillionSheldon.com. Links will be in the show notes. So my fellow filmmaking friends, as you roam up and down the hollowed halls of the Las Vegas Convention Center, Ooing and eyeing over the latest technological advancements in image capture, storage, and manipulation, I ask you to keep one simple question in mind. Why? Why do I need this? How will it improve the stories I tell? Now, there is a legitimate value to the opportunities opened up by things like virtual reality, augmented reality, 8K resolution, or having 18 stops of dynamic range. I don't want to discount that. But you'll maximize that value when you know precisely how you're going to use that technology to enhance your storytelling. And remember, there is also some value at reawakening that childlike imagination to envision stories and solutions to problems when you don't have access to technology. Some of the most iconic films in history are excellent case studies on how creative solutions to scarcity led filmmakers to come up with solutions that ended up far better than what they originally planned. Lastly, recall David Shulman's question, what is the purpose of art? What is the legacy that you once leave as a storyteller? Decades from now, will you be sitting on a stage discussing a film you created 30 years prior? Maybe, maybe not. But whether or not you are, try to make stories that at least have a chance, a chance to be timeless. Radio Film School is a production of Dear Dreamer Media and is a proud member of the Podcastica Network, the small collection of pop culture podcasts that cover topics from your favorite television shows to meditation and health to podcast production. This and other great shows can be found at podcastica.com. Music for this episode was curated from freemusicarchive.org. Links to tracks are in the show notes. If you like what we're doing on the show, please support us by subscribing in iTunes. And while you're there, leave us a rating and review. You can also find the show on Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and our RSS feed is on every blog post for each episode. Another great way you can support the show is by paying a visit to our friends at Lens Pro to Go. Instead of emptying your bank account or going into debt to get that latest camera, why don't you just rent it instead? Chances are Lens Pro to Go is going to have the latest and the greatest. So try the camera out first. Just hop on over to lensprotogo.com, and when you check out, use the offer code RADIO to save yourself 10%.
You can follow me on Twitter at DareDreamerRon, where I curate links about filmmaking, photography, social media, marketing, and branding. If you just want to stay notified with what's up with the show, follow us at Radio Film School. That's it for this week, folks. And remember, if the story sucks, I don't care what you shot it with or cut it on. Or stored it on, or lit it with, or rendered with, or, well, you get the picture. Have fun at NAB. You're listening to Dare Dreamer FM, the sound of creative expression. Hmm? Ah! Oh. Podcast